Good morning. Good to see everybody. I want to welcome those that are joining us uh, via Facebook Live. We appreciate you joining us uh, this morning uh, as well. Hope you're enjoying this beautiful spring weather. Aren't you glad the Lord sent a little rain to wash all that pollen away? But I shared a few uh, Wednesday nights ago. I felt so convicted. I was picking up a package at Sam's Club uh, several weeks ago in the pollen first came out and it was really, I mean it was really bad and I was sniffing and snorting and just depressed by the pollen and uh, anyway uh, the person brought the package out and I said hope you're having a good day and she said I hope you're having a good day I said boy this pollen is just terrible and she said but isn't the honey going to be good this winter and I thought Lord forgive me Uh, she saw the positive in the negative and that's God working all things out together uh, for good. So that's the perspective I want to have. But So I'll just say this, there's going to be a bumper crop of honey somewhere uh, this year. Well, let's pray that we'll find honey for our souls uh, today as we turn to God's Word and we ask His precious Holy Spirit to have His way in our hearts and our lives today. So let's pray together at this time. Father, we give you thanks for this day and God the gift of it. Lord, we'll never have this opportunity again. And so, Father, we're mindful of brothers and sisters in Christ right now in China, in North Korea, uh, God, parts of Russia. Lord, those that would love to be able to freely gather and just to freely be able to proclaim your word. But they're oppressed. They don't have the freedom to do that. And so, God, we want to seize that opportunity today. And we want to say thank you for the freedoms that we still do have here in this country. And so, God, I pray if there's one here, one listening that's never repented and trusted you to be Lord of their life, God, they're going to do that today. They're going to they're turn. They're going to yield their heart. By faith, they're going to trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. Father, we pray for those who are in need of spiritual healing. God, they're backslid. They're out of fellowship. They've lost their joy. They've allowed the devil to steal it. They have unrepented sin in their hearts. Bitterness, hate, They're not living for you daily in these difficult times. God, I pray that you'll begin a work of revival. God, you'll you'll begin it in our hearts today. Father, we pray for physical needs that are on the hearts and minds of many here today, those that are listening, those in our church family who are dealing with physical illness. We pray, God, that you'll touch, you'll heal in accordance with your will and in your plan. So now, God, we just simply pray your Holy Spirit would manifest his presence here. Move, have your way, and we'll give you all the glory, all the honor, and the praise that, God, you're so deserving of. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we ask these things. And all God's people said, amen. Brother Scott. Let's all stand. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned i 
comes and sings for us this morning.
beside you when you're walking through Praise the Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. So thankful uh, for his constant ever work and love and care in our lives. This morning, I want you to ask you to take your Bibles and to turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll begin to read in verse uh, number 9. I uh, just wanted to uh, look at this passage uh, this morning. These are difficult days we're living in, aren't they? They most certainly are. And so this morning, we want to speak on this subject, living for God in difficult times, living for God in difficult times. First Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll begin to read in verse number 9 this morning. I'll ask you to stand with me, all those that can and are able, in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in First Thessalonians chapter 3, begin to read in verse 9. The Bible says these words, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying, exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and, make the Lord, and may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one to another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Let's pray together. God, we ask your Spirit would speak to us and challenge us. Again, God, as we pray every single week, God, our heart's desires we gather here together as a church family is that should there be someone here or someone listening online or in a rebroadcast, 
who has never turned from sin and by faith trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, we pray they're, they're going to they're do that at the conclusion of this message as we come to a time of invitation. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts and challenge us today as believers. Where are we? Where do we stand? Are we living for you according to your word? Are we truly living for you in these difficult days? And God, I pray where you, found, where you find need today, God, we'll repent. We'll do business with you. God, we'll confess sin that there might be revival that will take place in our hearts. Bless this time, O oh God, your will be done. We'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. I remind you that uh, from our studies in the book of Acts, remember after Paul left Philippi in Acts chapter 16, it was, uh, we looked at a text last week in the book of uh, Philippians. It was out of that hardship uh, that a church was born. Paul was placed in jail there in Philippi for preaching the gospel. Uh, he and Silas, I mean, they got beat up bad. Uh, but they didn't quit. They just continued to move forward in what it is that God had called them to do. In Acts chapter 17, uh, they came to Thessalonica. Same, same plan. Uh, they began to share the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. They began to share those scriptures that we, we saw last week in the book of Philippians. Those, those foundational scriptures uh, of what the Bible says about Christ, man's sin, man's need for righteousness, the only way that it can be found. Paul shared the gospel, gave an invitation, and a church was born there in Thessalonica. But you remember as you, from Acts 17, or you can go back and relook at that later. Uh, the devil's always at work because Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so that we're always going to have an enemy who opposes our faith and what God has called us to do. And the lost Jews began to be stirred up, and they began to oppose Paul, and began to oppose the gospel, and began to oppose those who, were, who had been transformed by the message of the gospel. And so Paul departed, but the gospel stayed, and the church began to flourish. And many people began uh, to come to know Christ. But listen, Thessalonica was a difficult place to live for the Lord. It was a difficult place to live out the Word of God and stand on the Word of God. Remember at this time, as Rome occupied the world, uh, if you did not declare that Caesar is Lord just to take a little bit of incense once a year and to drop it on an altar and to say that Caesar is Lord, it was difficult to buy, sell, or trade. There was opposition uh, if you stood firm and you tried to live for God. And so through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul begins to pour his heart out into a letter and begins to try to, to encourage this church who had been founded in the gospel, who had been discipled, who had moved, don't miss this, from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. They were trying to be faithful in what God had called them to do. And in the midst of what were difficult times to live for God, Paul writes a letter to encourage them. And so he details a few things that it takes if you're going to live for God in difficult times. Listen, friend, we're living in difficult times. It's a difficult day in our country. It is a difficult day in our world. There's not even really shock factor that takes place in our life when we look at headlines anymore. I saw uh, yesterday where a mother had stabbed her three toddlers uh, to death. And we're not even shocked. that We're appalled. But that doesn't even surprise us anymore. 
because there's such a prevalence of evil in our world. Uh, there's such hostility against the things that the Bible says are forever uh, right. And there's hostility when the church stands for things that the Bible says are forever on, but the world says are right. And so there, these are difficult days in which we're living. And so if we're going to be faithful to live for God, just like the church at Thessalonica did, these things will have to be reality in our life. Number one, there must be sureness in faith. Sureness in faith. Now I want to remind you again uh, that the, Paul was writing to believers. Okay? Make sure you understand that. He was writing to people who had already turned from sin in repentance and by faith had trusted Christ to be Lord of, of, of their life. And friend, if you haven't done that, if you're listening online and you've never done that, you can't begin to serve God, Ephesians 2 says, because you're dead. Spiritually, you're dead. And listen, a dead man can't do anything. A dead woman can't do anything. And if you've never, John 3, been born again, through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting Him to be Lord of your life, you can't begin to live for God because spiritually you're dead. Uh, good friend, Brother in Christ sent me an article uh, Friday night that someone in Kentucky had written uh, that you know called themselves a pastor. I'm not so sure how. Anyway, but they they're a religious writer for a newspaper. All right, the author of this 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 article was. But they were detailing actual polling facts that around, and I'm, I'm going to make sure I get these right, but, but in 1999, uh, about 75% of America uh, claimed to be a member of a church somewhere. Well, that's dropped now to somewhere around 48%, 48, 47%. And, and the reason is this, there's just no shame anymore in that used to, lost people just joined churches. It was just the thing to do. Friend, Jesus clearly says that many in that day at the great white throne judgment will look at Christ. Listen, they're going to be in the line for hell. And Jesus said they were a member of churches. They're going to try to say all the good things that they did in his name, all the works, but here's the one thing that they never took care of. They never trusted Christ to be Lord of their life. And so the reason there's a decline of church membership in America is this, friend. We're seeing very few people born again in the day in which we're living. And so there's just no shame. People just don't even care if they don't go to church anymore. And who knows how many will even come back after this pandemic. But, but you can't begin to live for God until you have your own personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so these people had already established that. And so Paul's encouraging them, one, to have sureness in faith. Well, look what the Bible says in chapter 3. In verse number 9, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you? The thought of these believers living on mission, and they were, listen, they weren't hiding out in the church. They, they, weren't, they weren't living under the floorboards. They, they, they were suffering for their faith. They were living for Christ. They, they, they were doing their dead level best. Now look, they weren't out trying to pit fights, but they were just seeking to live for the Lord to be strategic. And, and so because of that, the, the church was growing. And Paul says, what, what thanks can we give to the Lord for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for, for your sake before God? Uh, Paul says, we, we can't wait to get back and see you again. It says, night and day we're praying, verse 10, exceedingly, that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. So Paul wanted to come see them. He wanted to encourage them, he says, to help 
perfect what's lacking in your faith. That word perfect literally means to adjust, to equip, and, and to furnish. And if you're like me, when you, you got your lawnmower out this year, you had to do some adjustments. You know, it didn't run exactly right. The, over the winter, oil had sat up in the carburetor, even if you put stable on the gas, all those little things. And, and you had to do some, some maintenance to make sure that it, it ran exactly the way it was supposed to. Paul says, that's what I want to do. I want to come see you so that through the leadership of the Holy Spirit and through the Word, we can help perfect what's lacking in your faith. And see, and, and one of the reasons, friend, that they could be perfected and be taught, don't miss this, is because they had a teachable spirit. And Paul had one. Remember in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, Paul says, Brethren, I do not consider myself to have apprehended, that is, to, to have been perfected or, or have arrived. Paul never came to a place, listen, Paul never came to a place in his walk where he thought that he had grown spiritually all that he could. He knew there was more to learn about God. He knew there was more of his heart to give to God. Friend, listen, this was the, probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. And he never thought that he ever arrived. He still, to his dying moments of his life, when they lifted the axe and dropped it in Rome and separated his head from his body, he still had a teachable spirit. And so Paul wanted to go to this church and to adjust their faith to, to add to it. Now listen, when we're, when we're talking about faith, uh, the Bible speaks two ways of the, of the word faith. First off, very quickly, faith, when we're talking about faith, we're talking about doctrine, the Word of God. Remember, Jude chapter 1 and verse 3 says, we're to earnestly contend for the faith. That is the sum total of our doctrine. What, what we believe the Bible teaches as it relates to faith, that is live, lived out doctrine. Faith, practice of the Word, living omission. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7, Paul says, I've kept the faith. He wasn't talking about he, he, he kept up a strong internal faith. He kept the whole counsel of God's Word. He says, I've, I've kept the faith. Uh, Psalm 119 says that, that our faith, the sum total of God's Word, it, it's, it's for guidance in our life. It's to be, the Bible's to be a lamp in our feet and a light in our path. And so the sum total of God's Word directs how we speak, how we live, how we think. That's Philippians 2, 2, how we can have uh, the, the mind of Christ, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. Uh, Matthew 4, 4 says that, that the, our faith, the sum total of our faith, the, uh, the whole counsel of God's Word, it's food for our spirit. Uh, Jesus says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Friend, listen, the reason so many Christians faint spiritually and need revival. Uh, you know, I've never... I've never understood, you know, folks that, that don't take care of their health. Just in this, you know. You only eat one time a day, you know, and think that you're Superman or Superwoman, like you're going to impress someone. And then, you know, you, you, you end up saying, well, you know, my sugar got low and just passed out. Have you been eating regularly? No, you know, I just eat once a day. I don't have time to stop. Well, listen, if your sugar gets low, you're, you're going you're gonna to hit the floor. You're going you're gonna to pass out. Well, spiritually, the reason people faint, friend, listen, they're not feasting on God's Word regularly. Now, listen, if you go home after church today, and I mean you load the wagon. I can't even name the foods, or that's all you'll think about the rest of the service. But if you go home and just load the wagon with the same thing that you ate for Easter, okay, 
but you don't eat again until next Sunday after church, you're, you're going to pass out uh, by, by Monday night. You're, you're going to begin to be weak. You're not going to be able to function. And when you don't feed your body likewise spiritually, daily, and consistently with a steady diet of God's Word, the faith, the whole counsel of God's Word, friend, you're not going to grow and you're not going to have a sustained spiritual uh, uh, aptitude to be able to, to fulfill what God has called you to do. So God's Word is food for our life. Ephesians 6, uh, God's Word is, is an offensive weapon. It's, it's to help us to move forward in the, in the faith, what God has called us to do. So that's one word, uh, that, or one look that describes the word faith. But what Paul wanted to do, listen, was not strengthen the word, but to strengthen their faith in the faith. To strengthen their belief, their confidence, their faith in the written word of God. That they might have sureness in the faith. He wanted to strengthen their faith in the faith. Look back at verse number 8 of chapter number 3. He says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Paul wanted to make sure that they weren't falling down, they weren't going backwards, but they were at least standing fast in their faith. That they, were, they, they had sureness in their faith in the promises of, of God's Word. And so to stand firm, listen, you need to believe what we believe by faith. Because the devil will come about, listen, friend, in times of difficulty. Listen to me this morning. Anybody can live for God when the sun's shining on their life. Anybody. I mean, there's, there's no hardship, there's no challenge, there's no adversity. The devil's left you alone that morning. Health's great, no problems, the refrigerator's running, all the tires are full, no knocks in the engine. I mean, everything's perfect. That's where your tempted friends are like, oh, man, I've got this. But it's in the difficult times, friend, what sustains us is faith in God's Word. His promises, His, His guidance to our life. What He's promised He'll do and what He'll never fail to do in our lives. And so if you really believe the Word, then you're going to apply it. He says, if you've got real faith, he says, I want to strengthen your faith in all these things that we've already taught you and we've already established you. It's because if you've got real faith in that, then you're going to apply it. I don't know if any of you have been able to escape allergy season without a sinus affection. If you had, man, that's great. But sometimes you end up getting one. You know, you can, I mean, it hurts so bad you can feel it in your teeth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, just, just terrible. And you go to the doctor, and he'll give you an antibiotic. You know, if you've got a really severe sinus infection. Well, friend, you know, you say, well, man, I believe that. I've gone to the pharmacy, I've picked it up, and I've got faith that, that that antibiotic can take care of this infection in my sinuses and get me back to feeling good, uh, but I'm just not going to take it. It's not going to do you any good. You see, well, I've got faith, but real faith means you're going to take it so it can begin to work. And real faith, sureness in faith, sureness of our faith in the faith, in, 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 the, in the sum total of doctrine means you're going to apply it to your life. You're going you're to do those things because you know that's how you're going to be able to experience God's best daily for your life. Faith 
sureness and faith will shape our responses to difficulty and to challenge. That means when the hardships come against our life and day, day in, day out living, sureness and faith shapes how we respond to those things. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And that takes faith in what that verse says to believe that God's going to accomplish it. That when hardships and challenges come to my life, it takes faith to believe, you know what? God loves me. God cares about me, and God's doing something in my life. He's going to work it out for good, Romans 8.28, somehow. Romans 8.29, that through this, I'm going to look more like Jesus and less like me. It takes faith to believe that. Sureness in faith. Because, see, friend, when you begin to wait, well, I'm just not sure. You know, is, 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 does God still love me? Is God at work in my life? Has God forsaken me? If God really loved me, why would these difficulties and challenges and these hardships be here? But if we, if we have faith in the faith, the sum total of what we know, what we believe about God, then we know, friend, that God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. God has a plan for our life, and He will complete it. And He will fulfill it. It takes faith. It takes faith, Philippians 4.13, when God calls us to do things, that we're just not equipped to do, that we know he can do it in spite of us. Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That takes faith just to step aside and yield yourself to God and to let him do those things through you. Listen, when the, when the debts are high and the funds are low, Philippians 4, 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches, all your need, not all your greed. It takes faith to believe, friend, that God's going to meet our needs according to His riches and glory, that He has the means to accomplish it. And, I'm, friend, listen, I'm telling you, there is no kind of pressure like financial stress. Can I, you say amen right there. It will cripple you. And sometimes it's because of poor choices where you didn't pray and seek God, and you got in a situation God never intended you to be in. But sometimes things just happen. Medical bills, emergencies in the home. I mean, things just cave in. And it takes faith to believe that God can provide and God will take care of you. It's a difficult time. It's a stressful time. It takes sureness in faith to believe that. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It takes faith to believe when Satan is tempting. I mean, when you've allowed yourself to become an addict to something, or even post-salvation, you're still dealing with the sanctification process of God setting you aside and God removing those habits and those addictions from your life. It takes faith to believe, friend, that you can trust God, you can resist the devil. In Jesus' name, you can rebuke him, and he must flee. It takes faith to believe that. Sureness and faith. And I want to encourage you in this today, friend. It takes faith to believe, Daniel 2.21, where Daniel proclaimed, God changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. The Bible clearly teaches, friend, that down throughout history, God has put men and women in positions of power to judge nations, to judge his people. He sets them up 
and he takes them down. We should still vote for the right ones. We should still seek his face. But friend, the Bible clearly teaches that our God is sovereign and he allows rulers and leaders to be in place to shape things in all times, but especially in end times that we can't see and understand. And it takes faith to believe and to trust, friend, that God has his hand on this world and he is moving and guiding. It takes sureness and faith to believe that. It takes sure faith in God and his word to walk forward in victory. Number two, if you're going to live for God in difficult times, it takes sincerity in love. Sincerity in love. Look what the Bible says in verse number 12 of chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. And he was writing to a church that was facing some hard times. And hard times tempts people to isolate themselves. And in verse number 12, Paul says, and, and may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one to another and to all, just as we do to you. And it will. Hardship causes you just to isolate yourself, just to push away and just to, to literally to huddle up in the spiritual fetal position. All right? Just, just to hunker down. And you just focus upon yourself. And literally because of the hardships and the adversities to become hateful, to become bitter and resentful, even toward God. How could God allow this to happen? Why did God allow this to happen? You see, when we're doing that, you know what we're really saying? I know better than God does. I can paint the picture for my life better than God can. And so I'm, 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 I'm resentful. And then we start looking at other people. Why well, I hate this person. I hate this leader. I hate this congressman. I hate this news reporter. I hate this boss. I despise this coworker. And so rather than our lives being marked by the love of Christ that looked down from a rugged cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Rather than displaying that kind of love to a lost and dying world, our, our lives are marked by hate and bitterness and resent. And then that begins to affect not only our own families, our, our, our relationships at home, but it affects the church family. We bring that with us to church. And you may be, listen, you, you may be here this morning and, and you've, you've brought in hate that you have towards someone today. And the devil's using you to quench the work of the Holy Spirit in this service today. Because you've got unconfessed sin in your life. You need revival. You don't love your neighbor, you, you hate your neighbor. Remember that the people in Thessalonica, they found it difficult to buy, sell, or trade. They went to the grocery store to try to buy a loaf of bread for their family. They couldn't do it because they didn't have the Caesar's Lord card. Because they wouldn't do that. They wanted to try to find somebody to buy the crop that they had worked all summer on. And they had trouble finding somebody to buy it because they didn't have the Caesar's Lord card. They wouldn't go along with the flow. So life was difficult. They were facing hardship, and, and the temptation was to resent those who were bringing hardship on their life, and then to stop loving their brethren. So Paul's prayer was that the difficulties of life would cause the Thessalonian believers to love Jesus first more, and then others. And you say, well, that verse doesn't say anything about loving Jesus. It just says, and may the Lord, look at verse 12 of chapter 3, and may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, and to all. Friend, listen. 
Love for your neighbor begins with love for Christ. The more you love Jesus, the more you're going to love other people. 1 John 4 and verse 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. And the reason we can love at all is because God demonstrated his love and shined that love into our hearts. Romans 5, 5 says it's been shed abroad. God has poured his love into our hearts. When we repent of our sin and trust in Christ, God poured his love in our hearts and taught us how to love him, showed us how to love him, and then shows us how to love other people. Matthew 22 and verse number 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the more you love Jesus, friend, listen, the more you're going to be able to love other people. When I was a boy, uh, my grandparents didn't have a well. They had a spring box. Any of you have a spring box? Growing up, nobody, well, my grandparents did. Way back up in the holler, there was like a three-foot by three-foot concrete cube. And a pipe went way back up a branch. And that's where they got their drinking water. And I remember when I would walk up the hill, you could see water just pouring over the edge. There's a little pipe at the top. And you could see water running out. And I'm telling you, friends, some of the sweetest memories I have in my mind are walking up that hillside, hot, trying to catch my breath, and bending down at the end of that pipe and drinking some of the sweetest water I've ever tasted in all my life. Friend, listen, I didn't drink it from the bottom. I drank from what was overflowing. You see, the more you love the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, the more through the study of God's Word and through prayer, And through fellowship, the more you spend time with God and the more you study His Word, the more you fall in love with Jesus Christ and the more that love begins to build up in your heart. And then, friend, listen, as you just begin to live and to function in the midst of hardship every day, it just just overflows. And people that are... Friend, listen, I'm not trying to be super spiritual this morning. I'm just going to be factual. The most difficult people that I have met in the past 20 years of ministry, it's not lost people outside the church. It is grouchy, cantankerous, complaining all the time, looks like they were born on the dark side of the moon, scowl on their face, church members. Those are the most difficult people to love that I have met in the past 20 years. And friend, listen, the way that you're able to love them is not something that you just generate up and squeeze up. It's because the more you love Jesus Christ, God helps you to see those people as He sees them, a soul for whom Christ died, and to see who they can be when they stop being the grouchy, cantankerous, griping, nagging church member that they are and get their heart on fire for Jesus Christ, and then you can love them in spite of them. You love them in spite of them. And so he says that there can be a sincerity in love, not faking it, but you can have a genuine love for the brethren. And so Paul says, don't let the hardship around you cause you to stop loving your brethren, because if you stop loving your brethren, he says, and you don't love me. Your relationship with me is not right. He says in verse 10, he says, I want it to increase more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Look at it. He says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. God God teaches us how to do that the more we spend time with Him and the more we fellowship with Him. Chapter 3, verse 12 says, and that you may... And then may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one to another, but now notice these last verses here, and to all. He says, now listen... 
put the con- Remember, there's the original message to the reg- original audience, three truths about every text. The original message to the original audience, the time-transcending truth, and then the application for our lives. Paul was writing to people. Now, this, this, these words right here, and to all, that represented the people that wouldn't sell them bread. That represented the people that wouldn't buy their goods. That represented the lost leaders in Rome that were pouring down hardship on top of them. Paul says, you need to love them. Not what they do. You don't have to agree with what they do. And it's not a pass. He says, but you need to love their soul. See, when we start loving the lost, friend, we're going to share and pray for opportunities, listen, to build bridges rather than barriers. Because when you, when, when you become self-focused on, on the hardships and the difficulties you're living through, then you build, you build barriers between you and lost people. Now, they don't think or live the way I do, and so I'm just not, I don't want to have anything to do with them. And certainly, friend, we don't want our lives to be influenced by them, but the Great Commission demands that we build bridges with them, the relationships, so that we can sow the Word of God into their heart and life. How many of you have been saved here this morning? Say amen. Who took the time to tell you how to be saved? Who took the time to build a relationship with you, in spite of you? And friend, listen, I don't care if you were five years old. You were a sniveling, griping little five-year-old that wouldn't sit still in Sunday school and were driving your Sunday school teacher crazy. And they still took the time to build a relationship with you and pour the Word of God into your heart. In spite of you. And that takes love to do that. Because what Satan wants us to do is to hate people. When you hate people, you won't have a broken heart for them. You won't see them as the lost soul they are that is in dire need of God's forgiveness and that God can change and can work a miracle in their life. If you're going to live in difficult times and thrive in difficult times in a way that pleases God, there must be sincerity and love. And then number three, there must be selflessness in service. Selflessness in service. You know what hardship and difficulties cause you to do? To become self-focused. You ever had a pity party? Sure you have. Woe is me. Why is this happening? We've all done it. Why is, why is, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And why, why, this, why, why me? And I've learned from why not me? But that's what hardship does. It causes to be self-focused self-absorbed, and then all we focus on is us. But here was Paul, friend, that was run out of Thessalonica, came to Thessalonica from Philippi, where he had the tar whipped out of him, imprisoned, and he still just continues to move forward in faithfulness. He's selfless in service. He wants to come back to Thessalonica, knowing there's a group of people there that want to beat him again. And the reason he does that, friend, is because he is selfless. Three, three words describe the order of priorities in Paul's life and must and ours. Jesus first, others second, you last. That's joy. The only way you can have true joy in your life, friends, is to have a personal, saving relationship with Jesus Christ when he's Lord of your life. And when he's really Lord of your life, he'll be first, others will be second, and you'll be dead last. And that means all your priorities, all your time, your calendar, everything. It all belongs to Him. And your focus is upon great commission work. 
The reason I have a job where I have is so I can make a living for my family so that we can live on mission together. The reason I work where I work is because that's the great commission field where God is planning. The reason I've retired in the community or in the neighborhood where I'm at is because God wants to work in my life and through my life. I don't have this attitude as a retiree, you know, that well, I've worked all these years and now we've got this time for us. No, sir, no, ma'am. The disciple that is surrendered to Christ's lordship, it's Jesus first, others second, and me last. Me last. We're just going to serve the Lord in sincerity. Paul says, we want, we want to come back and see you, verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly, chapter 3, that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking. We want to come back, Paul says, we pray night and day, God open the door. Let us go back to Thessalonica, where they ran us out of there and wanted to kill us. God, open the door of that place so we can go back and encourage those Christians. That's the heart Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. that said, hear my Lord, send me. Hear my, send me. Look at me. That's the attitude and the heart that every member of our church family is going to have and have to have. If we're going to restart and reboot in the Wanda ministry here this fall, as the God allows us to do that, it's going to take people who've never served in the Wanda before making themselves available to it. That Wednesday night opportunity, that's going to be the Wanda ministry, is the tool that we're going to use as a church family to reach young families. So I thought Wanda was just for kids. No, for, listen, we're glad we've got the kids, but we're going for the dad and mom. That's who we're going after. But it's going to take people who have never served in that way before. It's going to be selfless. Well, Wednesday nights are hard, you know, and, and those, those kids, you know, there's selflessness in service. It's not about me. But we're already, friend, up against the wall because we've got some folks, they won't even come to church on Wednesday night again. I mean, you've used Corona just to back out completely. You're done. I mean, done. So there's no way, listen, we're not going to be, I know there's work from anywhere. We can't have a wander from anywhere. If you're going to serve, you're going to have to be here. And that takes selflessness. I know, I know people are busy. I know people work. But, but if we're, if we're going to see that ministry take place, I don't say this. I thank God. Think back on the people that shared with you. I thank God there were people that had a selflessness in service that took the time to share and to work and to staff ministries at the church that I was reared in so that I could come to know Jesus Christ and grow in Him. And somebody did for you. But we're living in such a day where there's such a self Well, church exists for me, and so I'll show up on Sunday because that's convenient. It's not about convenient. It wasn't convenient for Christ to leave the portals of glory, Philippians 2, and to go to an old rugged cross and to die in agony and shame. But he did it because he was obedient to what God had called him to do, that selflessness. If we're going to fulfill what God calls us to do as a church, if we're going to live on mission daily, it takes selflessness. It's not convenient to have, relationship, to have relationships and conversations with people that don't want to hear what you've got to say about the gospel. It's not convenient because rejection can be painful. Rejection can sting. The devil can use that to, to try to build a, a wedge and to cause you to not like somebody. But, take, but selflessness and service just keeps you moving forward because it's not about me. It's all about him. Hear my Lord, send me. Friend, I'm telling you, evangelism and discipleship, ministry, true New Testament ministry is dirty business. It's dirty business. It's messy. You have to get involved in people's lives. 
You have to hear about the sin. It takes time. That means time you would give to you and to me and to all these things that have no eternal value. You've got to set that aside and you've got to give that time slot to Jesus Christ. It's messy. It takes time and it takes sacrifice. But the church that, that builds disciples, it builds them with ones that have hearts that go against the cry of the world of what's in it for me. Friend, listen to me. When you trusted Jesus Christ, you got everything. There's nothing else to get. You've got the best that God can ever give you. And so the cry of the disciple is, what can I give God? That's what Paul said. God, where else can you use me? What else can you do? That's modeling Mark 8, 34, where Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me. God, I'll follow you. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, God, I will do it. You want me to witness to my coworker? God, I'm so, I'm, I'm so nervous, I'm about to throw up on my shoes right now. But God, I'm going to do it. Huh? Anybody been there? I mean, God, I'm, I'm ready. I mean, I'm about sick at my stomach. But God, I'll go. you want me to talk to my neighbor? God, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to launch out into that. I'll, I'll do it. God, these people are talking and, and laughing about sin. And I know if I get up and walk away from the table, they're going to probably think something of me. But God, I'm just going to stand up and do it because it's not about me. It's all about you. So I'm just going to be selfless. And I'm going to put Jesus first in all things. Selflessness in service. That's what, that's what Paul did. And that's what he's encouraging those believers. If they were going to walk with the Lord in difficult times. Think about that, friend. Walk with God through this life in difficult times, following Jesus, it means the pull of self is always somewhere out away from God. You have to die to self and say, wherever he leads, that's where I'm going to go. Selflessness and service. And number four, it takes sanctity in conduct. Sanctity in conduct. What are we talking about? Sanctity. Holiness. Now, some of you just shut off right there. So, oh, here, here we go. Holiness. I don't hear that word. Well, it's a word God used. And it's a fact that God demands in the life of a believer. If you're going to walk with God, friend, it takes holiness. Look at verse number 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, we want to come see you. We want to encourage you. We want to, to sure up those things that are lacking in your life. Verse, why? Verse 13, so that he may establish, that is sure up, put a strong foundation, establish your hearts blameless in holiness. See, the truth that Paul's teaching is this, friend, listen. If you're not a doer of God's Word, then you're unholy. See, we don't like to think in those terms. You know why? Because popular Christianity, you know what it's taught today? Just that, that service to Christ, it's like, it's like going down the buffet line. You just, you know, when, when I was a boy, we had a place called the, the, the Piccadilly Cafe. And my grandparents would come and take us over to... Now, they like to go when you could get the, the early bird dinner, all right? You get the dilly dish. And I remember you, it was just... You had these big stainless steel rails that looked like this went five miles down the side of a buffet line. And you'd get the, the wet tray and get some napkins and you'd, you'd get your forks and all those things, and you go through, and then the lady would give you something to drink, and they had all these little glasses, you know, that sat there, the glasses had the three little round things, you know, that went up around the side, and there's glistening, all, and so you'd look down through it, and you'd just begin to, so I'll take that, and I'll take that meat, I want those two vegetables, and I'll take that dessert, and we just, you, you, there are all these things to choose from, 
And you just pick and choose. And at the end of it, you just go sit down and, and eat. Well, that's what a lot of churches are doing now. You know, you just show up. Hey, look, and we're, we're, just, we just, we're going to be your spiritual buffet. And you just pick and choose what makes you feel. What level of commitment? What level of service? What, what, whatever feels good to you, you, know, you, just, you, just, you just do that. And if you don't want to live these ways, man, that's okay, because God just wants you to be happy. Jesus says, be holy, for I am holy. And friend, I'm telling you that the Bible says there are things that are always right and are always wrong, and the only way to walk with God in holiness is to be a doer of the things he says to do and to abstain from the things he says to abstain from. There's no in-between. He doesn't give us the ability to choose what we think is right and wrong because his word is forever settled in heaven. And so... Paul was trying to encourage them to live holy lives. Look at verse 13. That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was trying to remind them, listen, Christ might come today. How do you want him to find you? What state spiritually? Now be honest, because you know the truth. When When you know that you've got company, now some of you may just not even care, and I guess, hey, Kudos to you for being real, all right? But you know, some of, when you know company's coming, let's just say on the 12th, <clears throat> on the 11th, you clean your house like there is no tomorrow, right? Be honest. You're dusting, you're, because you want those people to think when they walk in that this is the way it is all the time. And you know that's not the way, because there's shoes piled up here. You've got a pajama top piled up over there. There's a wet towel, dear sister, you pulled off your head when you were pulling, pouring your coffee, and it's been laying there for three days, and that stinks. And you've got a pot that you forgot about that you still haven't washed. But you want everybody, when they walk in, well, you know what? If, if, if God told us when Jesus was coming back, people would be tempted to live however they wanted to live. But the day that he came, we'd try to get all clean. Paul's encouraged them to live lives of holiness because this may be the day that Jesus comes back. And because we love him, and because we owe our lives to him, and because it's our heart's desire as rightly related disciples to want to finish well, we want him to find us living holy lives, rightly in line with his word. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Friend, listen, that's going to happen one day. This could be the day that it happens. How do you want Jesus to find you today? Is there anything in your life that you don't want him to find there? Psalm chapter 119 and verse 4 says, You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. God has told us it's not optional. What his word tells us to do and not to do, we must keep diligently. Now, he brings out some things that were affecting them. The the, the community of Thessalonica was marred by sexual immorality. Verses 1 through 6 detail this. And and Paul says that, that church and all people are to abstain from all matters of sin and immorality. And just in case some smarty pants was standing by and said, well... You know, the reason that person lives the way they're living sexually 
it's because, you know, God made them that way. Well, look what verse number 7 has to say about that. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Friend, God didn't predestine anyone to live a life of sin. He predestinated all people to be saved and to be conformed, Romans 8, 29, to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And I know we're living in a day where you'll just be, you'll just be canceled. I mean, that's like the, I don't know what time's word of the year is going to be, but it's either going to be woke or canceled, one of the two. You're saying if you don't agree with, you just, well, you're just canceled. Well, friend, they can't cancel God's word. It'll always stand. And as it comes to sexuality, I just want to say this morning, friend, listen. Verse number 8 says, Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Listen, very clearly. Mark chapter 10, verse number 6. Jesus from his lips says, God made them male and God made them female. And I know we're living in a day where people say, well, you can just change that or it doesn't matter. You just pick whatever bathroom. Listen, friend, it's simple. When, when you came out of your mother's womb, whatever the doctor looked down at and saw two body parts distinguished man and woman, whatever the doctor saw, said, that's a boy. Listen, you're always going to be, you, listen, you can put a wig on and try to look like Fair Fawcett, but you're always going to be a man. If you're born a man, you're always going to be a man. And if you were born a woman, you can cut your hair like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you're always going to be a woman because the Bible says, I'm not trying to be ugly, friend. I'm just trying to be plain. The Bible has clearly said it's not up for debate. It's not up for legislation. A man's a man and a woman's a woman. Now listen. You know, and it's easy for us to amen those things. But the Bible also says, friend, all sexual morality is wrong. That means men and women can't live together out of wedlock. That's sin. But you'll have your grandson, your granddaughter that's shacked up out of wedlock over and just try to act like everything's okay, and it's not okay. All sexual morality, whether it's between a man and a woman or two men and two women, is sin in the eyes of God. Pornography, filth, R-rated movies that exalt sexual immorality. It's all wrong. There's TV shows that you watch late at night on ABC, CBS, and NBC that you think there's nothing wrong. You, you mock and you, you laugh at. It's, it's sin. And the Bible says that that dirties our eyes. What we look on, friend, it begins subtly to affect how we look at life. That's how, that's how strongholds develop. Very subtly. Paul says we're to abstain from all matters of sin and immorality. We're to do that. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, that we can do that. Now, I've shared often, I'm just going to say in passing this morning, that normal relationships between a husband and a wife, God designed. And I want to tell you, parents and grandparents, you better sit down and talk to your children when the age is appropriate about what the Bible says about that, because if you don't, I can assure you, their friends and the TV shows that they're consuming through their eyes and the music that they're listening to through their ears, it will shape it in an unbiblical way. You say, well, it's just a little uncomfortable. Well, you know, put your big boy and your big girl britches on and be the parent and the grandparent that God called you to be and have those conversations because if you don't, the world's going to shape them in a way that they don't need to be shaped. 
It takes sanctity in our living, in our conduct. It related to them as far as the sexual immorality. But it's all matters. Doing those things God says to do, not doing those things that God says we're not supposed to do. All things you can't pick and choose. To him it knows to do good, and doeth it not. To him it is sin. He says, and so with that, verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, we pray that you aspire to lead a quiet life that's marked by holiness, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we've commanded you. That, that quiet life, that doesn't mean that you're just to, you know, to, to hold up on your compound. Paul's talking here about a mind and heart that's marked by inner peace because of strong faith and faithfulness. Listen, Paul was anything but quiet. When he showed up to a town, he started shouting Jesus. But he didn't go and try to stir up fights in the flesh. He lived on mission. Listen, friend, the, the Word of God is salt and it is light. Salt stings, light blinds. As you seek to share the Word of God and live out the Word of God, it's going to convict people. It's going to rub them the wrong way. That's going to happen. But you in the flesh don't have to start stirring up fights and picking fights all the time. You ever heard the phrase, stirring the pot? Just to do it. Oh, well, this will get them going. You know, it's like throwing a cat in the dog lot. You know what's going to happen. You're just, you're, just, you're just trying to stir the pot. Paul says, don't do that. Try to live quiet. There in Thessalonica, where you are, in front of a lost and dying generation that is spinning out of control, Paul says, try to lead a quiet life that points others to Jesus Christ, that honors God's Word, to be faithful in what God has called you to, whatever the work is. Look at it in verse number 2. He says that, that, that you may aspire to lead a quiet life, verse 11, chapter 4, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. Paul says when you lead a life, listen, that is marked by holiness, God uses that holy life to speak to lost people. They're going to see that there's something different about you and the way you respond to tragedy and to hardship and to difficulty. And God's going to use that to draw people to his side as they see sanctity in our conduct. And I've wondered this for, for many years. I don't know why, friend, I'm just saying it's been my experience, you know, because you don't get to stand where I stand and I don't get to sit where you sit anymore. I'm just telling you, when you start, just like a little while ago, you'll get everybody to start yipping and yipping Woo! about homosexuality. Yes, sir, brother, preach it. We're waving the flag. But when you start talking about boy-girl sexual immorality in your own family, boy, it's quiet. So everybody loves to shout till God starts plowing in your garden. But what would happen if the church were more afraid of sin and immorality than they were of holiness. What would happen? You ever thought about that? What would happen if, if the, just the church in America was more afraid and more disgusted by sin than they were holiness? What would God do in our country? You know, we need revival in the church. I don't mean just Greenwood. I mean in the church in America. The only thing that's going to turn the tide of our country is the gospel. And the gospel's not going to be shared and modeled and lived out until there's revival in the church. Now listen to me. 
I've been building fires for a long time. I remember when I was first able to start building, we came in. I had the opportunity to start, handed the matches. My papa taught me how to build a fire. Listen, when you build a fire, you don't start with the back stick. You got to have a good back stick when you build a fire. That's what pushes the heat out. Apple's the best. Got a good apple back stick, you can get some heat coming forward. Got to have a front stick. But listen, you got to have something. You start a fire with kindling. That's where the fire starts. I want you to do this right here. Stick your finger. You can go, go ahead and point. You point at me all the time. Go ahead and point your finger out like this. All right? Go ahead. Point your finger out. All of you aren't doing it. You're rebelling right now. I'm not asking you to do anything. Just go ahead and do it. Now, you know right now you can start pointing. This is wrong in America. That leader's wrong. This person I work with, think about it. This is wrong. This is holding America back. So there's one finger pointing to them. But look how many are pointing back at you. Look at them. This is where our prayer needs to be this morning. God, don't start with the back stick. God, don't start with the front stick. God, would you rekindle right here today? God, start right here. Do it. Tap your heart, friend. Now mean it. Say, God, start right here today. Start right here today. God, help me. Help me to walk with you, to live for you in these difficult days. And start right here today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You can't begin to walk with who you don't know. You can't walk if you're dead. If you don't know Jesus Christ, friend, listen. God loved you so much, he sent Christ to die in your place. He wants to save you from the penalty of sin. It's possession over your life. But you must turn from all the sin that's in your life. By faith believing Jesus died for you, that he rose from the grave. And you want him to come live in your heart and be Lord of your life. When we say come live in your heart, that's just a way symbolically saying you want Christ to be Lord of you. If you know you've never done that, you've never turned from sin and trusted Christ, we're not asking you to join the church, to be religious, to be baptized, to turn over a new leaf, to get in a Bible study. We're simply asking you to take God at his word, that he'll forgive you and he'll save you if you'll simply turn from sin and trust him to be Lord of your life. If you've never been saved, won't you tell him that right now? Maybe someone that's listening by way of the internet, you know that's the greatest need in your life. Won't you do it? Do it right now where you sit. Just bow your head and close your eyes and humbly cry out to God and say, Lord, forgive me a sinner. I believe you died for me. And I'm turning from all the sin that's in my life. And I'm asking you, as you rose from that grave, the resurrection power that lived in your body after you died and rose from it, I'm asking you to come live that life in me to be Lord of my life. Forgive me of sin. Be Lord of me. That's my prayer. If you're here and you prayed that prayer, in just a minute when Peggy begins to sing, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and to make your way over to the left where Brother Brian's going to be standing. He wants to pray with you and he wants to encourage you. If you're listening online and you made that decision, I want to invite you to call us or to email us so we can get in touch with you and come alongside you and encourage you in this decision. Now, friend, be honest before God. You know you point all these things that are wrong in the government, county government, in your family, extended family, all these things that are all these problems that need fixing. You can point to all those. But how many did those three fingers touch this morning? How many, how many did those three fingers touch? Do you stand in need of revival today? Has your faith dwindled? 
Have you lost your love for the brethren because really you've lost your love for Jesus Christ? You really don't spend quality time and study these words. You don't pray the way you should. You don't pray for to, to share the gospel with lost people anymore. Holiness is something you just you laugh at. You know you've got unrepented sin in your life. Friend, do this. Ask God to kindle a flame in your heart today that will then spread out into the church and then all across this country. Father, speak to your church today. God, we want to live in a way that pleases you in these difficult days. But God, we know we can't do that without sure faith. God, without strong love for the brethren, Lord, that, that roots itself in you. Father, we know that our lives have got to be marked by selfless service, which you call us to do. We give ourselves to, in spite of us, allowing you to work through us. God, it's our life. Whatever sin we don't want, and whatever you've commanded, that we want to do. And we ask you to do it through us, in spite of us. Oh God, do a work in people's hearts and lives today. Whatever someone recognizes the Holy Spirit's shining out in their heart today, that's hindering revival in their heart and life, in their family, in this church, in this community, in this nation. Oh God, I pray we'll yield it. Let you strip it away. And God, you'll kindle a fresh flame in our heart today. And in spite of all that's going on in this world, God, we will live for you in these difficult times. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverend stand to our feet. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you need to make a decision, this is the time to do it. Peggy's going to sing. You step out if you need someone to pray with you. verse. You need to make a decision. This is the time to do it. Step out right now.